excited about talking about the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus today. It's a lot to cover in just uh, one message, isn't it? A lot of you know that uh, there's a lot to these stories and this story, which is maybe the greatest story ever told. I just have to say, uh, I need your prayers this morning. Some of you understand this. Easter is the most pressure that any pastor ever feels. Because, you know, Christmas and Easter are sort of the big uh, Christian holidays, right? But at, when, it, when I show up here for Christmas, half of you are already gone. So there's not many people here, a lot of people traveling out of town. But then Easter, everybody shows up. And they want to hear something about the cross, and they want to hear something about Jesus and the resurrection that perhaps they haven't heard before. Uh, so anyway, pray for that. I'm very excited about the message today and things I have to share with you. So I don't do this often, but I, uh, I'm going to start with an Easter joke. Yeah, I don't uh, rarely tell jokes. So uh, yeah, uh, see what you think about this. One Easter, a priest and a taxi driver both died and went to heaven. St. Peter was at the pearly gates waiting for them. Come with me, said St. Peter to the taxi driver. The taxi driver did, he was told, and he followed St. Peter to a mansion. It had everything you can imagine from a bowling alley to an Olympic-sized pool. Oh, my word, thank you, said the taxi driver. Next, St. Peter led the priest to a rough old shack with a bunk bed and a little old television set. Wait, I think things are a little mixed up, said the priest. Shouldn't I be the one who gets the mansion after all? As a priest, I went to church every day and preached God's word. Peter said, yes, that's true, but during your Easter sermons, people slept. When the taxi driver drove, everyone prayed. So, there you go. So we need you to be praying today. And not sleeping, yes. So we're going to talk about God's love today again. Some of you know that we've been doing a series on the basics of Christianity. This is actually the fourth message that we've given on the foundational principles of the Christian faith. The first message we did, we talked about how God's love for us is so infinite, there's nothing you could do that will stop God from loving you. The next message was we uh, titled God's Message for Us, but it was how the Bible is really a gift of God's love and how because he loves us so much, he wants us to have an, a record, an inspired record, something that we can count on, something that we know is true, that we can use to understand who he is, to understand who we are, to understand the message of Jesus, the gospel, on and on. It's really a gift of God's love. And in the last two weeks, we talked about sort of part one and part two, about following Jesus and what that means. And it, it really is simply could be described as this, is that God loves us so much, the Lord loves us so much, he just wants us to love him as much as he loves us. And we talked about how uncomfortable it is when you try to have any relationship with someone and you love them clearly more than they love you. And that really doesn't work. And none of us are fulfilled by that. None of us are satisfied with that. None of us want that. And so Jesus just wants us to love him as much as he loves us. So we're going to talk about love again, because what else is the message of the cross and the resurrection except God's love? So we're going to call this the 
power of God's love or the power of love today. That's the title for the message. And maybe it'll help us to think. Can you remember a time when you came to understand, maybe in a fuller or more graphic way, just how much someone loved you? You remember a situation like that? I remember something like that that happened to me when I was seven years old. Now, admittedly, I don't remember many things that happened to me when I was seven years old. But I remember this as clearly because it really was a time when I came to understand how much my dad loved me. Uh, we were living in Tennessee at the time, and we were living in East Tennessee, and they don't call East Tennessee Rocky Top for nothing. Uh, a lot of hills, a lot of mountains. And so we were in this house. We were renting this house. We were just there for one year. Like I said, I was seven years old, and at the back of our yard, it was a small house, small yard, there was a sheer drop-off, a cliff of about 10 feet, okay, so from about here to the floor. Now, today, you know, uh, there would have been a fence put up to keep you from going there, right? But, uh, you know, uh, a lot of us were dropped on our head as you, so that didn't happen, and so sure enough, of course my parents told me, do not go near the backyard there and don't get all, you know, we don't want you to fall over that little, that little ledge there. So I'm seven years old, so sure enough, what do you think that I did? So one day, one of my friends and I, we decided, because it, like it was like rock climbing, you know, so we'll just climb down this sheer face of this 10-foot cliff and, you know, and we made it to the bottom and I don't know what we did when we were down there, but at some point, we decided to come back up. And so I'm, you know, carefully, my seven-year-old boy thing going on. I'm grabbing, you know, at the edges, and I'm, you know, sort of going up. And I get up almost near the top, and I fell straight backwards to the ground. I hit the ground with a thud. I was semi-conscious. I hit my head on something. My face is bleeding you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's bad, and um, my first thought was, you know, I really should have listened when my dad <laughs> told me not to do that. But anyway, so my friends, he gets up, and somehow he goes, and it must have been a Saturday or a Sunday because I remember my dad was home. He immediately comes running, and he comes flying down that little cliff somehow. He got down there, and he got down there fast. And he picked me up on his shoulder and said, hang on. He had me wrapped around his neck, and he climbed back up that cliff to get me to the hospital to get the care that I needed. We didn't really know. It really wasn't that bad. Uh, maybe I was knocked unconscious. I had to get a few stitches. But I remember clearly as my dad, seven years old, I was not a small seven-year-old probably easy for you to imagine, but I remember clearly thinking, as he's climbing back up here, how much I understood there that my dad loved me. I also remember, I don't know if I was praying much, but I was praying that he wouldn't fall uh, on the way up. But sure enough, you know, we made it up to the top, and then everything was fine. You know, I don't remember much from when I was seven years old. In fact, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about this sermon. I go, what do I remember from when I was seven? Well, I remember that I had a dog uh, named Zip 
that we had to get rid of because my younger brother had allergies. That was a memory of bitterness <laughs> and resentment. I remember that just down the street, you know, just several lots down, there was an empty lot that was vacant and open, and me and my friends would go there and play football and baseball. And I'm sure it was really small, but at seven it seemed really big. And that was a memory of joy. And then I remember my dad carrying me up this sheer face of this cliff to get me the help that I needed because he loved me. We have talked a lot about love. We're going to do that again today. Perhaps you already know the story of the first Easter weekend. And if you're new to the Christian faith, I'll just give you some of the highlights and hopefully it'll help you at least to know where we're going today. But the story is that God created us in love and that in love he created this beautiful world for, we, for us to live in. And that the plan of God from all eternity was that he would send his son, Jesus, after preparing for hundreds of years, thousands of years, that he would work through the Jewish people and he would help us all through them and through our own experience to understand that we are desperately lost, that we need help, that we need God, and that he could have this relationship with us. And so Jesus would come and that Jesus would show us the way and Jesus would preach and Jesus would live this perfect life and Jesus would do miracles to prove that he was the Son of God. And he did all that. And then though in the culminating act of God's love, the one event on this first Easter weekend that makes everything that we can experience today possible, Jesus would actually suffer and die a horrible death on the cross. By the will of God and by his own choice, and that his punishment that he would take there would be the punishment we should have received for all of our sins. And that because of that, then we, so sinful and imperfect and flawed, would be able to enjoy the reward, the salvation, that only Jesus actually ever deserved by the life that they lived. And so this is that weekend that's come and that he wouldn't just suffer and die, but that three days later he would be raised from the dead. The main point today, I'll give it to you now, and we'll just build on it during the service. The cross shows us just how much God loves us. And the resurrection shows us just how much God loves you. I appreciated so much Michael's sharing. Because this is true for Michael, for every young man or woman here, no matter what your age and how old you are, that if we don't get in our heart and we don't understand God's love for us and we don't understand Jesus' love for us, then there's going to come a day. It may not be today. It may not be next week. It may not be next month or next year. But there's going to come a day when you're going to walk away from Jesus. Because it's only that love that is powerful enough to hold us tight and keep us where we need to go. 
We're going to turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to begin there. I believe they're going to put the scriptures. We're going to read just a few scriptures from the story of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And I want to just say up front that there's so much to cover here. I'm just going to cover a little bit of the story, but I'm hoping it's helpful. This is a very personal message for me. What I want to do to you, with you today is share with you some of the things that I think that move me and that help my heart so that I could love Jesus the way that he's loved me. Does that sound good? Now, if you were preaching this sermon, you might share something completely different. But none of you volunteered to preach today. So it's just me and my thoughts. And really, I'm going to center this whole message. Some of you know the story already, but I'm going to read it. Some I'm going to center it around two very significant conversations that God the Father had with Jesus the Son. One of them was before he went to the cross, and one of them was at the very end as he was nearing those final moments of his death. And uh, so here we go. It's early Thursday evening, or a late Thursday evening, or early Friday morning on what we would call Good Friday. Jesus has been trying to tell his followers for over a year now very clearly, look, this is the plan of God, this is the will of God, i got to die on a cross, i got to die for your sins, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Maybe like a lot of us, they didn't listen well. They didn't really register with them. They still couldn't believe. In fact, you may know the story. Peter one time had to rebuke, try to rebuke Jesus because he shared this plan with him. They just couldn't conceive. They had hoped Jesus would come, the King, the Messiah, and that he would overthrow the oppressive Roman government. And, and dying wasn't part of the plan. Crucifixion wasn't supposed to be part of the plan, according to Peter. I mean, the Romans practiced crucifixion, uh, something like that. Uh, crucifixion. Crucifixion. But crucifixion was the horrible death that was designed specifically for the worst rebels in society, for the slaves, for the lowest, the poorest, and the least. Jesus would die by crucifixion? That just didn't, that didn't, that didn't compute to them. They didn't understand it. So the time has finally come. The night before he's to die on the cross, and then we read, in Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to him, to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as yet, not as, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, 
My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So try to imagine it. You're Jesus, and the time has finally come. You've known for all of eternity that this day was coming. Yet as you are ready to face the cross, it's Jesus is so human. And he is so stressed and anxious. It says he's so pained and sorrowful, it says, to the point of death. When I try to understand this, I imagine a condemned prisoner on the night before they're executed. Let's say they're going to be executed by lethal injection, or they're going to be executed by the gas chamber, or hanging, or the electric chair, whatever way it is. How would you feel if you were in that position the night before you knew you were going to be executed? And that's what Jesus is struggling with. So human, so alone. And he's pleading with God, and this is a very intimate and personal conversation between a son and his father, and it really is quite painful. And, you know, maybe it's like watching your your parents argue. It just feels really bad. Like, you feel like, I shouldn't even, I I should not be here. I should not be seeing this. I mean, my parents are in their 80s, and I go home and visit, and even if they're arguing over, you know, whether the trash got put out right and put out on time. You know, I just feel terrible. I'm like, I should not be seeing this. I need to go somewhere else. But here we get a very intimate look. And Jesus doesn't want to go to the cross. No one wants to die at 33 years old. No one wants to die this way. No one wants to die this horrible crucifixion, this torturous death. And he's pleading with his father. And he's going, I know it's been the plan since the beginning of time. I know this has always been the eye. But now that we're here... Let me tell you, God, can we please find another way? And he's saying to God, he's saying, God, you could fix this if you want to. This is a tough moment for a father and a son. And you know, God, the father, he was thinking, son, if there was any other way, if if I could have fixed this another way, I would have, but I can't. And so there's a lot of context here. This prayer evidently went on all night. Of course, you know, Peter, Jesus brought along his best friends because he was hoping they would provide some emotional and spiritual support. Maybe you've been there. They all fell asleep. Peter, James, and John, right? But I imagine this discussion went on. And God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, had to, ask, they had to answer this question. This is really important to us today. How much do we love these people? Do we love them enough that I'm going to let you die, Jesus, and that, Jesus, you're going to die for them according to the plan? And they both came to the same answer. Yes, we love them enough. 
Now, what's powerful about this that we need to understand is that both God the Father and Jesus the Son could have pulled the plug on this at any time they wanted to. They had a choice. If you're a condemned prisoner and you're going to be executed the next day, if somebody gives you a choice, you're going to say, I don't think so. No, thank you. I'd like to step away from being executed tomorrow. Jesus had a choice. And if that was ever clear, God also had a choice. What happens right after that is Jesus is arrested, and these guys are coming, and because Peter and the other guys think that uh, they still don't understand that this was God's plan and purpose, and they still can't accept this. So what does Peter do? He tries to kill one of the guys. He takes his sword out and tries to kill one of the guys who's coming to arrest Jesus. And so then, here's the thing that's important to us, I think. Verse 52. Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. He's talking to Peter. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Now what's so graphic about that and what's so powerful is it illustrates the choice that Jesus had and that God had. Because God had somehow made it clear to Jesus that if you say the word, if you decide you've had enough, if you say you want out of this situation, if you say you don't want to go anymore, just let me know and I'll deal with it. And Jesus says, don't you know? What are you trying to do, Peter? I've decided this is happening. All i got to do is say to, to, say to my dad, I'm done. I don't want any more. It would have ended right there. All Jesus had to say was, he just had to say the word. You know, I, I think God, certainly he wanted Jesus to go through with this. But there's a, probably another part of God because he's, he knew what Jesus was going to suffer that was like, yes, please tell me. Please tell me to go ahead and stop this. That wouldn't have been the right decision. That wouldn't have been the best decision for us. But it could have happened. The choice that Jesus had, the choice that God the Father had, and the choice that they made, that's the power of love that we see in this story. So we're going to skip to uh, chapter 27. This is another part, the second painful conversation that Jesus has with his Father, God the Father. Now there's a lot of things that happen in between here, and if you don't know the story, I would encourage you to go back and read it. But Jesus is arrested. He's tried before the Jewish religious leaders. He comes before Pilate. The crowd cries, crucify him. He is sentenced to die. The soldiers who don't even know him whip him. There's a crown of thorns. They mock him. He's finally crucified. Nails are driven through his wrist. And through his feet, he hangs for six hours. 
before he dies, all the while being mocked, not only by the people on the ground, the Jewish religious leaders, but even by two thieves who were crucified on the cross with him. But I have to tell you, and this is just me, it may be different, the physical suffering of Jesus has never been what moved me the most about God's love and about the love of Jesus. It may be different for you, and that's great if it is, but for me, it was the emotional pain, the spiritual pain that Jesus went through for me on the cross that meant the most. And I think that's illustrated here when we get to the end of the story. Some of you already know this. Jesus was hung on the cross for six hours. We're in Matthew 27, verse 45. From the sixth hour till the ninth hour. So this was from noon to 3 p.m. He was evidently crucified about 9 a.m. in the morning. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. So it's the middle of the day. It's early in the day. It's noon when the sun should be shining the brightest. And for three hours, there's darkness in the land. And about the ninth hour, this is moments before Jesus dies. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar, put it to the side, and offered Jesus it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Still mocking him, even to the last. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Imagine the scene. Darkness in the middle of the day. All this suffering that Jesus has gone through. And he gets to the very end, and it says that he cried out in a loud voice. You know what that means? He screamed. You ever heard a blood-curdling scream? Imagine how any parent would react. Some of us have uh, experienced that. We hear our child scream. Jesus screamed out. And the words that he screamed, I'm sure, were so painful and so poignant. In Aramaic, they were, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine hearing those words if you're a parent. You say, well, why did they, why did they put the, Aramaic was the language that the people spoke at that time. The Bible, the New Testament was first written in Greek, and so Greek was what they wrote in. But in this case, Matthew and Mark actually did the same thing in his account. They decided, we're going to put the original words that eyewitnesses heard that were spoken in the text, just like we heard them, because nobody who was there that day and nobody who ever heard those words ever forgot what Jesus said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
It seems that Jesus has finally lost it. You know, all through the interesting thing about the story, and you may know this if you've read it before, is that even from the very beginning, in the garden, you know, Jesus is the one who's suffering, and he's the one who's having to decide whether they're going to go to the cross, and the other guys are all sleeping. But he seems to be like the only one in control, and he comes out of his prayer time, and he says, rise, let us go, meet our betrayers, and then everybody's falling apart, and then First Peter tries to kill the guy, and Jesus has to settle that one down and calm that one down, and, you know, all the disciples desert, and Jesus, Peter eventually denies him, and everybody's going crazy, and Jesus just seems to be totally in control, and he's calm, and he's faithful, and then you come to this moment. When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It had to be so hard to watch. It's uncomfortable to imagine myself being there. It's uncomfortable to read it. Right? Jesus is not complaining about the physical pain of what he's gone through in the six hours on the cross. Jesus is not complaining because his friends have been disloyal and that they've deserted him and they've even denied him. What is Jesus screaming about? It's because his relationship with God, this perfect relationship, this love relationship that he as a son had had with God as his father for all of eternity was at this moment broken because he had absorbed on himself at this moment the guilt and the judgment for all of our sins, for all people of all time. Now, I imagine that it would have been horrible for Jesus if he had just died for one of us. Right? What if he had just died for Kevin Batchelor? It's been a horrible death. Right? I feel the same way about... But imagine, the cumulative, and so, you know, some people say that at this moment, God the Father turned his back on Jesus. I don't think he turned his back on Jesus at all. I think he stood there, and he did the hardest thing that any parent could ever do. He did nothing. And he let Jesus feel and suffer the judgment and the guilt for all of our sins so that we would have a chance to be saved. You know what strikes me? Is that the Father and the Son still had a choice right up until the last moment. Anywhere along the path here, God would have, could have said, the Father could have said, enough. Jesus' could have, Son could have said, enough. And this had to be the worst moment when God the Father hears his son crying out, here when I need you the most, you failed me. You're nowhere, you're, you're not here. You're not helping me. You're doing, you're standing there doing nothing. Jesus could have said, I'm done. Do you realize if he'd have Done, been done just even moments before he died, 
that we wouldn't have the opportunity to have the salvation that we do today? What if Jesus had said, I've had enough? You know, there's been times in my life where I have said out loud, usually to my children, I have had enough. You know who I learned that from? I learned that from their granddaddy Bob, my dad. Because there were times growing up, and, you know, I would test their patience, and I would push the limits, and I would disobey, and there would come a point in time, and my dad would look at me, and he said, I put up, I put up, I put up, and I'm done. I've had enough. How hard was it for God not to say? You're sitting there watching your son, and the very people he's got are mocking him. Can you imagine? You know what he did? He did that. Why did that have to happen? He did it for all of us. And here's the thing. A lot of you can relate to this better than I am. What Jesus is experiencing here is the agony of losing someone you love. That's what he's feeling, because at least for this moment, he has lost the relationship of somebody that he loves deeply. Some of you know who've lost somebody you love before, you know the agony there, right? You've lost a parent, lost a child, lost a relationship, gone through a divorce, become estranged with another family member, a brother, a sister, somebody, and you don't speak anymore. You know, I feel like I've been pretty fortunate in my life. My parents are still living. My wife still loves me most of the time. My children still seem to like me. They do a good job of acting like they do. Everybody's healthy, but some of you know what I'm talking about. When, and this is why I'm saying, to me, the physical pain doesn't move me as much personally as this does. Because I know, I can just imagine, for some of you who have lost a parent, and some of you who maybe even have lost a child, or you've lost a husband or a, a wife, or you're a widow, or there's been a divorce, or something like that, when that moment hits you, and when you get there, you feel like, I would go through any amount of pain, physically, to not feel the agony that I feel right now about losing this person that I love. And even if you're not there, you perhaps can imagine it. You know, Mary Kay told the story about, in the welcome there, about when she was first studying the Bible and eventually became part of our church, and she had uh, been a part of the Catholic tradition, and for whatever reason, uh, she's maybe like some other children, she didn't listen much in church. But when the first time she sat down and read the story of Jesus' death on the cross, it moved her. It not only moved her to become a Christian, it moved her to do something that I have never heard that anybody else ever did 
she actually tore the pages out of her Bible that described Jesus on the cross. You say, well, that's sacrilegious. Well, I think it was just a reflection. Of, it's one of the things I love most about my, uh, my wife. She is passionate. And when she read that and she understood it for the first time, it was so difficult to look at. It was so painful. She just ripped those pages right out of their Bible. Now, I'm happy to report she has a Bible today, and those pages are in the Bible. I don't know where that Bible is with the story of the cross ripped out, but it's, it's gone somewhere now. You know, I love that about my wife. And that's one of the reasons she's such a strong Christian. And that's one of the reasons she's still supporting me after all these years. It's one of the reasons she loves me. It's because the cross meant something to her. It did then, and it does now. And I'll say it one more time, because Michael already said it earlier. Thank you for helping me preach my sermon today. If the cross doesn't, and Jesus, and the love of God, and your love for him is not the center of your faith, you're not going to be much of a Christian. And you're probably not even going to be a Christian after a while. So I think we should finish up because Jesus got raised from the dead. Okay. Matthew 28. We don't have time to read all of this, uh, talk about all that we might, but It'll be good here since it's Easter to get Jesus out of the grave. Let's go home with that, right? After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. This is Matthew 28, verse 1 and following. And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see him. And what happened is that Jesus was raised from the dead, and what happened was that these disciples and many other, actually hundreds of others, saw Jesus physically alive, uh, over the next period of the next 50 days, their eyewitness testimony was so, and what they had seen was so convincing to them that their lives were dedicated to Jesus for the rest of their days. They were so convinced of what they seen that they told others what they had seen. And they didn't stop telling people what they were seeing. And these people that had denied Jesus and had deserted Jesus now became people who would stand up and speak the name of Jesus and be willing to suffer and go to prison and be beaten and even die for their faith because they knew what they had seen and they could not deny the risen Savior. Jesus' resurrection was proof of who he was. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope 
that even though we've lived this life of sin, that just like Jesus, we can die to that life of sin, we can live a new life that's far better. There are many reasons that Jesus rose from the dead. The one that means perhaps the most to me, I'll share with you as we get ready for our closing song, is that I think Jesus was raised for many reasons, but I especially think how Jesus was raised for Peter. Can you imagine how Peter would have felt? I mean, you talk about having a bad couple of days. First, he fell asleep while Jesus was praying. I mean, fall asleep while other people are praying, but not Jesus. Then he tries to commit murder. Tries to kill a man. Then, just like all the rest of the disciples, he deserts Jesus. He denies Jesus. Imagine how difficult it would have been. If you ever sinned so much, you felt like, I think I have sinned so much, I'm not sure I could ever come back. Did you ever feel that, Michael? I've sinned so badly, so, so inexcusable what I've done. How could I ever come back from that? And I imagine if Jesus had not raised and been raised from the dead physically, I imagine it was hard enough for Peter, if you know the rest of the stories it was, but Jesus came back. And he said to Peter personally, and he says to all of us, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know how bad your sin is. In fact, Jesus knows it a lot better than we do. He says, but here's what I want you to understand. I died on the cross for you. And yes, there's a second chance for you. And yes, it's not over for you. And I love you. And I forgive you. And it can all be right again. That's the power of love that we see in the cross of Christ in the resurrection of Jesus. Let's stand for a closing song. Happy Easter.